So we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount since Easter Sunday, the week after Easter Sunday, which is really strange for me to think about because that feels like it was just yesterday and a really long time ago all at once. But the point is, today we have arrived at the end. And the passage that we're looking at today is Jesus' conclusion to his sermon, uh, where he really pulls together and summarizes basically everything that he's been trying to get across uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so because uh, the passage we're looking at today is a summarizing passage of Jesus' entire sermon, that means that today's teaching is going to be a summarizing teaching of our entire series. So the point of all that is to tell you that if you're hopping in for the first time, or the first time in a long time, uh, you really couldn't have chosen a better week to join us. So I'm in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13, all the way through 29. We're going to read that on the front end and then get rolling. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. This is God's word. I recently heard somebody say that, that the trouble with the Sermon on the Mount is that it's so familiar. You know, when you talk about things like the Beatitudes um, or phrases like, you know, love thy neighbor or turn the other cheek, uh, those are, those are, all of those come from the Sermon on the Mount, and they're incredibly familiar phrases and terms and ideas really in and outside of Christianity. And so because the Sermon on the Mount is so familiar, uh, the, the trouble is that, that people, uh, they, they tend to not listen to it and to not really understand it. And the reason that I can say that with confidence is because of what Matthew says at the end of Jesus' sermon. Uh, you might think that what Matthew said at the end here is kind of a throwaway statement, but it's really not. What Matthew gives us at the end, which is just his brief commentary um, when Jesus concluded, what he gives us really is a litmus test for you and I to tell whether or not we have really listened to and understood what Jesus was teaching in his sermon. In verse 28, Matthew said, when Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. 
That word uh, astonished is an incredibly strong Greek word, and what it, but it basically means to astonish somebody means to drive them out uh, through use of violent physical force. So when Matthew says that the crowds were astonished at Jesus' teaching, it means that they were so impacted by what they heard that day that it was, it was literally as though someone had physically struck them and physically beat them and actually knocked them over through use of violent physical force. And commentators have pointed out that, that with this word, you have an imperfect Greek tense, which is kind of unusual. But what that means is that it's not like they just felt like that for a moment and then went on about their lives. What Matthew's trying to say is that as people walked away from Jesus that day and days and months and even years later continually reflected on what they heard from Jesus, it kept hitting them over and over in waves. And it wasn't just like a a small handful of people responded to Jesus' words that way. Matthew says the crowds were astonished. So this is the prevailing way that people were impacted by, by Jesus' teaching that day. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves in light of all this is, am I astonished by what Jesus has said in this sermon? Has it, has it impacted you? Has it struck you? Has it moved you? And if it hasn't, then it's because you haven't, you haven't listened. You haven't understood what Jesus is really saying here. And so my, my goal today is to walk through this final section of Jesus' sermon and really just get out, out of its way so that it can astonish us just like it did uh, 2,000 years ago to the people who were able to hear it live. And there's really three things that I want to focus on. First off, we're going to talk about the two ways, the two ways of life that Jesus holds up for us. Um, and then Jesus says that at the end of those two ways, that there's a judge, and at the end of that judgment, there's a sentence. And what Jesus has to say about all three of these things, when really listened to and when fully understood, uh, it's nothing short of astonishing. So the first thing that I want to look at here is, is the two ways that Jesus sets before us. Notice, first off, back in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says that there's two roads. One of them leads to life and the other one leads to death. Uh, and, and then in verse 17, Jesus says that there's two trees one that produces good fruit, one that produces bad fruit. Uh, And then in verses 24 through 26, Jesus talks about two houses, one that's built on rock and then the other one that's built on sand. So what Jesus is saying here, summarizing the Sermon on the Mount, is that there are these two spiritual approaches, two ways of life that at least on the surface look remarkably similar, if not almost identical to one another. In other words, they both look like roads that are perfectly safe to travel on. They both look like trees that are producing fruit that's perfectly safe to partake in. Uh, They they both look like like houses that are perfectly safe to live in and to let your guard down in. But uh, one of these roads destroys its travelers. One of these trees produces fruit that poisons its partakers. And one of these houses will collapse in on its residence. And so really, the entire point of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing, is he's trying to get us to the point that we're able to discern between these two ways of life so that we can choose the correct one. And so here's, here's the million-dollar question. What are the two ways of life that Jesus is talking about here? What are the two ways of life that look so similar on the surface but lead to such wildly different outcomes? And, and, and the reality is, Everybody thinks they know. Almost everybody thinks that the two ways of life, and this is so intuitive to the way that we think, almost everybody thinks that the two ways of life that Jesus is holding up here is on the one hand a good moral life, 
and on the other hand, a bad, wicked, immoral life. You know, a way of life in which you choose to obey God or a way of life in which you choose to disobey God. But the truth is, that can't be the two ways of life that Jesus is referring to because those two ways of life would not be two roads, two trees, or two houses that look anything alike. alike. And so throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not and, and has not been contrasting uh, good people who live a moral life versus bad people who live an immoral life. And, and we can see this plain as day uh, right here in this passage where Jesus gives us a human example of a tree that produces bad fruit. So I want to I look at verse 22 for just a moment here. And verse 22 says, uh, Jesus says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. Now keep this in mind as we walk through this. In this verse, Jesus is giving us his example of a person who is a tree that produces bad fruit. So let's look at at what this person really looks like. All right, first off, based on this verse, uh, this person calls Jesus Lord. The Greek word Jesus uses there is the word uh, kurios. It's the word assigned to God in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, something that we call the Septuagint. So the point is, it's clear that this person is coming to Jesus and saying, you're the son of God, you're divine. So this is a person with what we would consider orthodox belief. This is a person who could sign the statement of faith at our church. This is a person who gets 100% on their doctrine test. But this person doesn't just come to Jesus and say, Lord, they say, Lord, Lord. And whenever you see the repetition of a word or a phrase in Scripture, what that's meant to convey is intensity of emotion. It's similar to when Jesus was on the cross and he called out and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the person Jesus is talking about here is not just somebody who has orthodox belief. This is somebody who's emotionally engaged. This is somebody who is excited about Jesus. You know, maybe they've they've cried in worship services before. They've had an emotional encounter before. And this person goes on to say, uh, first off, I've prophesied in your name. Now, at the very least, that means that this person has actually taught the message of Jesus to others. And he goes even further, and he says that that he's cast out demons, and he's performed miracles. And and so this is someone who's gotten into other people's lives and liberated them uh, and and caused them to see real healing. So this is is someone uh, who's deeply engaged in ministry. This is someone who could, who, could, who could be on staff at a church. This is someone who could be the pastor of a church. And Jesus turns to this person in verse 22 and he simply says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment and ask you, does that astonish you? Does it astonish you that Jesus would say that to a person who's lived that kind of life? Because I think it should. And and keep in mind here, this is Jesus' example of someone who is a tree that's producing bad fruit. So it's, it's obviously not somebody who's living this outwardly, openly, obviously, overtly immoral lifestyle. Just the contrary, this is somebody who looks like a, a paragon of morality. Right? People like this are, are who you want your kid to grow up and be. And so the point that I'm dri- driving at is that The two ways of life Jesus is laying out here, the two roads, the two trees, the two houses, he's obviously not talking about good moral living versus bad immoral living. 
Right? If, if you've been following along in the series, then you've seen really week after week in all the passages that we've looked at that Jesus, over and over again, would always compare and contrast two groups of people. But it was never the good guys who were obeying God versus the bad guys who were disobeying God. He would always compare two groups of people who were both living outwardly moral lives. Two groups of people who were both praying, two groups of people who were both giving, two groups of people who were both obeying God's law on the surface. But the two groups of people that he's comparing ultimately are religious people and Christians. See, religious people and Christians look remarkably similar on the surface in the sense that they both pray, they both give, they both serve. But underneath the surface, there are are utterly different reasons for their obedience and therefore utterly different results in their character. And, and that's really what Jesus is trying to get us to be able to discern. Right? Almost nobody makes the mistake of confusing moral and immoral behavior. Good actions versus obviously wicked, evil actions. But the mistake that so many people make, that we're all prone to making, that causes so much devastation both in and outside of the church, is mistaking simple religious living for this brand new way of life Jesus came to begin and make possible called Christianity. And all through the Sermon on the Mount, that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see, that religious people and Christians might look similar on the surface. They might do similar things, but they have utterly different reasons on the inside, and they're producing utterly different results on the outside. So so let me just walk through that for a moment and ask the question, first off, what's the reason that religious people do the things that they do? What's the reason that religious people do good deeds? And Jesus straightforwardly answered that question for us in in chapter 6 when he talks about religious people giving to the poor. And he says that the reason religious people give to the poor is uh, to get honor from other people. And the Greek word that he uses there is is glory. And so religious people are are basically, according to Jesus and according to the whole of Scripture, religious people are are cosmically insecure, meaning uh, they're people who inside themselves have no sense of their own glory. Uh, which means they have no sense of their own worth, their own value, uh, the weight that they have, or or, or the the reality that they actually matter. And so the reason religious people do what they do is because inside they desperately want, they desperately need what we all desperately need, which is a sense that there's something significant about us, or something worthwhile about us, or something valuable about us. And so they go out into the world and they do all these good things, Uh, like read their Bible and pray and go to church and and feed the hungry and and donate to charity and all that kind of stuff. But they do that in an attempt to get the world to give them what they need. And and really the hope for a religious person is that if I can show the world that I'm a good person, then maybe through their praise and through their approval and through their respect, I can finally maybe one day feel like I actually matter. I can finally one day feel like I have glory. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, went on to explain that religious people don't just play this game with other people, they even try to play this game with God. And that's why later on in chapter 6, when Jesus talks about prayer, he says that, that, that religious people, when they pray, they're not praying for God. They're not praying for God's sake. They're not praying so that they can spend time with their Heavenly Father. They're praying because they believe that they're going to be heard for their many words. And what, what Jesus, and I just had a conversation about uh, this with somebody today, but what Jesus is saying there in, in chapter 6 uh, is that ultimately religion, religion and religious living, it's just a power play. 
Religion is a, is a, it's a mankind's attempt to strong arm God into giving us the life that we want. Religion says to God, because I'm trying so hard to live a good life, you owe me. And so you do all that you do in this, basically in this hope that, that, that if you do, then God's going to have to bless you. And God's going to have to answer your prayers. And God's going to have to spare you a life of suffering. And other people are going to have to like you and accept you and respect you in this hope that you can one day maybe get all the things that secretly, inwardly, you know that you don't have. And because that's the reason religious people do what they do, the result is when you live a religious lifestyle, you're going to become an incredibly judgmental person. You're going to constantly look down on other people and consider them fools. You're, you're going to constantly be uh, focusing on the problems that you perceive in everybody else's life and either bringing that up to them or, or, or bringing it up about them behind their back. You're going to be really cold. You're going to be really rigid. You're going to use your religion to exclude and maybe even abuse other people that don't believe just like you believe. And another one of the main hallmarks of people that are locked into a religious way of living is that they are totally incapable of withstanding any kind of suffering. Because a religious person, when they go through suffering, what they've said in their heart of hearts, even though they might never utter the words out loud, is they tell themselves, other people might deserve to go through what I'm going through, but not me. Not me. Not somebody who's been as good as I have and tried as hard as I have. And so what Jesus is trying to get us to see in his sermon is that Christianity is nothing like that. That that Christians and religious people might do some similar things or things that look similar on the surface, but they do them for entirely different reasons, which leads to entirely different results. Jesus says in verse 17 here, just a really simple statement, he says, every good tree produces good fruit. Now, that's about as simple a statement as you can make, but really what Jesus is saying in verse 17 is why religion is so stupid as a way of going through life. Religion is all about working from the outside in. Religion as a philosophy of life is is basically living life believing that if I can do all these good deeds, like say my prayers and read my Bible and give my money and, and go to my church and all that kind of stuff, then maybe I'll be able to fill this emptiness that I know, at least part of me know, exists within me. Maybe I'll be able to finally one day feel okay about myself. Maybe I'll, I'll one day experience peace. Maybe I'll one day experience salvation. But, but, but basically what Jesus is saying in verse 17 is how ridiculous that is because he's saying that, that, that's the equivalent of, of hanging fruit on a dead tree and expecting it to bring the tree to life, which of course is crazy. Right, fruit on a tree doesn't give the tree life. It's just an expression and a manifestation of the, of the life that's already within that tree. And so a Christian is somebody who has something inside of them already. And it's what they have on the inside that produces externally this fruit in their life. And in John chapter 17, Jesus tells us what Christians have on the inside. This thing that religious people, try though they might, are never going to be able to, to earn or to achieve through their own hands. In John chapter 17, verse 22, Jesus says, I have given them the glory you have given me. I just want to read that one more time. He said, I have given them the glory you have given me. Now, I'm going to make a bold statement here. If you really believed what Jesus said right there, if you really understood and perpetually lived in what Jesus said right there, you would never have social anxiety again. You would never feel insecure about yourself again. 
You would never wrestle with depression again. I don't think you'd ever have a bad day ever again in your entire life if you truly understood and truly lived in what Jesus is saying right there. See, we, we, we glorify Jesus really well sometimes, meaning the glory that we give Jesus sometimes is, is we do a pretty good job of it. But the glory that we offer Jesus, that we ascribe to Jesus, absolutely cannot hold a candle to the kind of glory that God the Father gives Jesus. And yet what Jesus is saying in John chapter 17, verse 22, that the glory that God the Father gave him is the same exact glory that he gives you and I. And he does not wait to do that at the end of our lives if we've tried hard enough and lived a good enough life. He does that the moment that we put our trust in him. And so a Christian fundamentally is just somebody who lives with that assurance and who lives out of and operates out of that assurance. And so they might do all the things that religious people do, like praying and giving and serving and all of that, but the difference is they do it not needing to be praised, not needing to be seen, not needing to be rewarded. They don't need glory from other people because that need is met. Now, if they happen to get glory from other people, they, they're free to receive that without that going to their head. But even if they never get glory from other people, they're free to walk through that without it going to their heart. And so a Christian moves out into this life and through this world and does good. I mean, they make a difference in this world. They live out the gospel, but they do so not in this attempt to get their needs met, but out of this awareness that all of their, mets already have, all of their needs already have been met by God through Jesus. That's what makes this way of life so different. Now, when you understand it that holistically, I don't want to speak for you, but at least when I understand Jesus' words that way, it becomes really clear to me why Matthew said this was so astonishing to people 2,000 years ago when they heard this teaching for the first time. Because when you really consider what Jesus is saying here, what's crystal clear is Jesus is not talking about just morality versus immorality. He's not talking about religion versus irreligion. What Jesus is talking about is a way of life that doesn't fit into any category before it. It's something different altogether. This isn't anything like any of the other teachers of, of, of the law were offering people in that day. And they understood what Jesus is saying is that really the, the, the most dangerous mistake that you can make in this life is mistaking just surface-level religious living for this brand-new way of life Jesus came to make possible called Christianity. But there's one more thing I want to highlight about this before I move on, and that's evidently it's really easy to do this. Meaning evidently it's really easy to get these two things confused. I mean, that must be why this was the, the, the focal point of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Because obviously, if Jesus saw fit to take this much time making sure that we get this right, obviously, then it must, be really, it must be really common for people to get caught up mixing these two things up. Because think about it this way. The Pharisees didn't know they were the bad guys in their own story. I mean, if you had asked Pharisees in their day, they swore that they were the ones that had it right. They swore that they were the ones who were refusing to compromise. They swore, they swore that they were the gatekeepers of truth, that they were the only ones that were refusing to bow down and be swept away in this new doctrine, this radical belief system from this new Jewish carpenter rabbi that nobody had ever heard anything for. They, sh they were sure that they got this right. And so the point that I'm driving at here is that it is entirely possible to be locked into a religious way of living and be so blinded by it that you don't even realize it. 
And so when you consider what Jesus is talking about here, the, the question becomes, okay, well, how can we be sure that we're not confusing? We ourselves, this very moment, aren't confusing religious living and Christianity. How can we make sure that we're not on a road that leads to death, a tree that's producing death, a house on a foundation that's going to lead to death? And what Jesus offers us, and this is going to be the final thing that we look at today, what Jesus offers us, he, he, he gives us two things that religious people never understand that we have to understand if we desire real life, both in this life and the next. And both of those things are found in verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, and I think these are some of the most sobering words you're going to come across in God's word. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now, this is a bit of a side note, but, but it, it's really important to note here. When, when Jesus is talking about that day, when he says on that day, the day that he's referring to is mankind's judgment day. And Jesus, this is kind of incredible to me when you consider how early it was in Jesus' ministry. What Jesus is doing with these words is he's very plainly stating that on that day, mankind's judgment day, people are going to be coming to him. And he's going to be the one judging them. So this is Jesus in no uncertain terms. This is the way everybody understood what Jesus was saying 2,000 years ago. This is Jesus in no uncertain terms saying that he's going to be the judge presiding over all mankind. Now, the reason that I bring this up is because it's passages like this that show us why you can't just say that Jesus was a good guy. You can't just say he was a wise teacher. You can't just say he was a, a moral man that did a lot of good in the world. He's, when, when Jesus goes on to say that he's going to be the judge over all mankind that decides somebody's eternal fate, he removes that option for us. For, for Jesus to say this means that, that he's really only given us three options. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting this from C.S. Lewis. At the end of the day, you have to admit that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. He's a liar, and we should disregard everything that he says. He's a lunatic, and we should disregard everything that he says. Or he actually is the Lord, and we should take everything that he says very seriously. So I'm going to look at this scenario that Jesus says is going to be so common for so many people on Judgment Day and walk through what's really going on here. All right, first off, what's really interesting is that in this scenario, people are coming to him, and the very first word out of their mouth is... Didn't we do all these things in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? So again, these are people who have done a lot of good in this world. These are people who have helped a lot of people. Maybe these are people who have done more good in this world than a lot of Christians actually have. But I want to look real carefully at how they actually approach Jesus. Because what they're saying is, look at the things that I've done. Look at the works of my hands. Look at my resume. And all they're doing, all they're trying to do, this is, if you just boil it down, they're trying to do the same thing to Jesus that they've been doing to everybody else their entire lives. Because they're coming to Jesus and they're demanding something from him, salvation in this case, you know, entrance into heaven in this case, based on, like, like Jesus owes them something, simply because they, they've, they've tried really hard to do good things and live a good life. They're, they're saying, look at what I've done. And Jesus is responding and saying, well, that just proves once and for all that this was never about me. 
And this was only ever always about you. And so here's the first thing based on this scenario Jesus lays out for us. This is the first thing. I know I took a long time getting my first idea today, but this is the first thing that we have to understand if we want to escape religion and find Jesus. And it's this. It's not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done for us. It's not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done for us. If, if you want to move from religion to Christianity, the first thing you need to do is look not just at the bad things that you've done, but even at the good things that you're doing right now. And you have got to accept the reality that no amount of good that you can do can move you an inch closer to God no, no amount of good you can do can have any sort of saving effect in your life. None of it can earn God's love in any way, shape, or form. And if you can't accept that, if you can't accept that that's the case, that there's no good that you can do to secure your standing with God, uh, then according to Jesus, you're actually further away from God from pe- than, than people who are living outwardly, overtly immoral lives. That's why Jesus said that tax collectors and prostitutes were entering the kingdom of God, his upside-down kingdom, ahead of the religious leaders. That's right from the mouth of Jesus. I don't even entirely understand what that means, but we have to accept it because it's right from the mouth, mouth of Jesus. So to move from religion to Christianity, what that means is you have to stop coming to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, I've done everything for you. And you need to start coming to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, You've done everything for me. You have done everything for me. That's the gospel. It's that Jesus came down into this world, lived the perfect life for you, and died on the cross to save you from every single one of your sins and rose again to secure your standing with God forever. That's the very first thing that religious people never understand that Jesus says we have to get a hold of in this life before it's too late. And the second thing Jesus lays out for us is find, found in the final statement that he makes to the person who's, who's unrepentantly lived this religious lifestyle. When, when, when offering the final verdict to somebody who has not put their trust in him, Jesus simply says, and before I, I remind you of this, I just want to offer this to you. This, is, this has hit me so much harder this week as I put this teaching together than it ever has in my life. I just want you to consider this for a moment with me. The final thing, the final verdict Jesus offers to an individual who has refused to put their trust in him. The final words from Jesus' mouth, he simply says, depart from me. Depart from me. Now that's Jesus explaining that the only real punishment and the ultimate punishment is to lose him. That once we lose him, we're going to find that we've lost everything. That's the worst case scenario for our souls. And if this is true, then what this also means, what this also means is that what you have been looking for, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you believe or don't believe, what this also means is that what you have been looking for, the love that you've been looking for in every relationship, the beauty you've been looking for in every sunset, the experience you've been looking for on every adventure, the peace you've been looking for in every pill, the approval you have been working so hard for your entire life, what you've always been looking for, whether you realize it or not, underneath it all was nothing other than Jesus himself. That's what Jesus' words mean. 
And this is going to be our last idea today and the final idea of the entire Upside Down Kingdom series. It's very simply this. What we've always been looking for is Jesus. That reality, that life-changing reality, is what Jesus says religious people are going to come to understand too late. And it's what Jesus desires we would all come to understand here and now. And that same Jesus that we've been accidentally looking for all our lives, astonishingly, came looking for you and me. And when he was here, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I'm, I'm willing to bet that there's people listening to me right now, and you are, you are as weary as can be. You are, you are exhausted. You are at the end of your rope. And it's because you have forgotten what Jesus has made available to you. You have forgotten what Jesus says is already yours. You have forgotten that Jesus has given you the glory that his Father has given him. And what Jesus would say to you and to me through this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, his sermon, is that we need to stop working for that which he has already given us and we need to start operating out of that glory that he's already given us. But I am absolutely positive that with that there's people listening to me right now and you know that you've never made the decision to give your life to Jesus. You know that you've been playing this religious game that Jesus is talking about here, relying on what you can do to save yourself. And if that's you, I just want to end this teaching and I want to end this series speaking to you directly. Uh, you know, pastoring and preaching through a pandemic uh, has certainly been strange for me. Uh, it's not something that I've ever navigated before, and, and it, is, uh, it, it is not without its disadvantages. You know, preaching to these empty rooms and all of that stuff, it's just it's strange, it's weird. But as I was putting this together, it dawned on me that there is at least one advantage uh, to this situation that you and I have found ourselves in right now. And, and the advantage is that when I, at the end of a teaching that's centered on Jesus, which I try to make sure that all my teachings are, at the end of my teachings, when I invite you to make the decision to put your trust in Jesus, the only advantage that we have is that I'm not asking you to raise your hand or stand up or walk down an aisle in, full, full of, in, in front of a couple hundred people that, that you don't know. I'm just asking you to make a decision right now between you and God. Because at the end of the day, you are the only two that really know where you're at anyway. And so if, if you're listening to me right now and you don't know what the conversation is going to sound like when you stand before Jesus at the end of your life, the way Jesus said, you're going to, and I'm going to, and every human being is going to. If there's any doubt in your mind about what he's going to say to you because you're relying on what you're doing to save yourself, if there's any doubt at all and you're ready to make the decision to put your trust in him, I just there's no better time for you to do that than right here and right now. And if you're ready to do that, I would love to just go ahead and pray with you. You can even borrow my words because it's not about the words. It's about the heart behind it. So if you're ready to do this, let's just go ahead and pray right now. Lord Jesus, I've been trying to build my life on what I can do instead of what you've done for me. And I realize now that what I've always been looking for 
is a relationship with you. So from this day forward, I'm trusting you to be my Lord and my Savior. Please forgive me of my sins and give me the strength to follow you all the days of my life. In your holy name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me and made this decision, uh, man, I hope you reach out to us so that we can encourage you or pray for you or celebrate with you or or support you in any way that would be helpful for you. But above everything else, I, I just hope that you know that you just made the greatest decision of your life. But to conclude this series, uh, what I wanted to leave you with is is very simply this. The upside-down kingdom is uh, unlike any other kingdom of this world because it's not a kingdom of this world. And, And it's astonishing to me, and it should be astonishing to all of us, that Jesus is still inviting people like you and I to be a part of what he began 2,000 years ago. But make no mistake, make no mistake, the greatest part of this kingdom is that Jesus is the king in the center of it all. And it's that and that alone that makes the upside-down kingdom the greatest kingdom that'll ever be. That's it. And that's all.